Welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of Entertainment Evolved. This is the finale for Season 6, 24 episodes. And we are going to end it, sir, as we began. You and I, right here, we, we opened this season talking about some uh, protagonists. And we are going to close it out talking about some antagonists. Ace, welcome back from the Superhero Homies, my friend. Uh, to quote a very famous villain, I feel like you and I are destined to do this dance forever. That's true. That's true. And, uh, you know, uh, to quote, uh, well, I don't know if he's a villain, but he's definitely a bit of an antagonist. You know, time is a flat circle, you see. Uh. And so, if we, <laughs> anyway, um, before we get into it tonight, because I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, but I do think that this is very timely. Finally, I have it right here. I'm not going to leave it standing up because it's not going to stand. But, you know, as always, I'm going to put some close-ups in of it. We have right here, this is the Slipcase Digital Deluxe Edition of none other than White Sand, which is a Brandon Sanderson uh, graphic novel. Uh, one of two, actually. So there is another. Um, yeah, yeah, so there is another. Uh, it's called Dark One. but it's not, mm. it's not in the same universe, though. It's kind of its own thing. Gotcha. Uh, but uh, that may be something that we need to visit at some point so yeah I, th I think we may uh so i uh i found I, I restarted white sand i started it like forever ago when you first uh gave it to me yeah and uh i was super into it uh, i got distracted by like the 17 other things that i needed to read and uh, then i recently went back to it like when yours finally arrived uh, like 18 years later yeah and man i uh it's it is such a uh a, a dense read in all the best ways possible. I figured it would be something that you would really be able to sink your teeth into. Yes. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I knew it'd be something for me to sink my teeth into because it has a glossary in the beginning of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Which is fitting. All right. And I'm grateful for it because I found myself uh, going back there to the glossary, you know, just for like reference point. Okay. Now what's this mean again? Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. And uh, and uh, Chrysala, who's one of the main characters in the book, uh, that's kind of what she does. She documents things. She's a so researcher. It's written written in her handwriting, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and and actually, there is that in all of uh, his uh, the Cosmere books. Oh. Uh, at the end, there'll be a, like an explanation of the magic system of right. that world and everything, and then it's all from her perspective and her point of view. And then there's the. Um, uh, the Arcanum Unbound, which is basically all written from her perspective, and it's like kind of her, uh, uh, her, I guess, logbook of like all the different worlds and like how dangerous it is to go there. Kind of like a, okay, you know, like a traveler's guide to the Cosmere type deal. Um, so if you haven't paying attention, this is a uh, White Sand is a Brandon Sanderson graphic novel in the Cosmere. This is the Omnibus edition. It just came out. And if you haven't been paying attention over on Superhero Homies, now is the time. There's plenty of back episodes for you to listen to. Mm -hmm. But very soon, as soon as we both finish it, uh, we are both going to be reviewing it over there. And I'm really excited about it. So yeah, I, I'm super looking forward to that. And it's going to be really exciting. Uh, honestly, I think more exciting for me, maybe even than, than you. Uh, this is my first time delving into uh, the, uh, the Cosmere. And uh, and this is also going to be an opportunity for me and my own podcast 
to sit back and be like, all right, so Caleb, tell me what does this mean? Yeah, which, which I will <laughs> be able to do right uh, without looking. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is going to be – I think we have the perfect set of perspectives to do this. Yes. Because uh, it is – at the time that I read it, it will be the only thing that I haven't read mm-hmm. in the Cosmere, which if, if, if you haven't been keeping up, that is uh, the kind of one of the shared universes where uh, all these different things take place. Uh, and uh, so uh, – I, I it, it'll be the last thing I read in the Cosmere. I'll, I'll have read everything else, and it'll be the first thing that you read. And right. So we will have t- probably two completely different perspectives on it, uh, and I'm I'm just so excited for it. Me too. Almost excited as as excited as I was for this episode today. We are talking about the antagonists, and and something when I was planning for this episode, something I I thought about here is. You know, we started the season off with the protagonist episode, and I would encourage anyone who is, if you haven't uh, listened to or watched that, I think maybe we were just still on audio then. Yeah. 24 episodes We were. Ago. So, yeah, so, so you can't watch it. You know, I listened to it. We were still audio only back then. Uh, I would encourage you to do that because uh, at least one of mine has some direct parallels to one of the characters I talked about there. But it's also a great episode. It's been slowly climbing up the charts. It is actually the third most listened to episode of the podcast nice. right now. And both of the ones that are above it are Dark Side of the Ring episodes mm. from way back when. Right. So, so like, it, for it to have gained that much traction in the very short amount of time that it's been, I, I think, you know, it's going to end up being one of our most popular episodes. Well, I wish you didn't tell me that because now the pressure's on. The pressure is on. <laughs> Uh, I, I was, so when I was preparing for this, I thought about it and the word antagonist, I think Mm -hmm. is more closely associated to the word villain. It is. Than the word protagonist is associated to the word hero. Right. Because, and, and I thought that was really interesting because, um, your antagonist is almost always going to be a villain, at least in the eyes of Of the the protagonist, protagonist. Yes. Whereas the protagonist is... I would say most of the time they are a hero in our eyes mm-hmm. and not theirs or the other way around. Or the other way around, you right. Know? And, and rarely is it both. And, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, I, I said this at risk of hopefully not stepping on, on anyone's toes here tonight, but uh, you look at, like, Breaking Bad. It's one of my favorite. It is my favorite show of all time. I mean, you know, you have Walt, who is technically, he is a, a protagonist, well, one of two main protagonists of the show, and then at one point, his brother-in-law, Hank, is an active antagonist. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen Breaking Bad. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. And and Hank is very much a hero. Right. In, in every sense of the word. Yeah. And yet, you do not want him to catch Walt. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying not to look over there at it, but, it, you know, I'm going <laughs> to. I knew uh, it. Because yeah. he was looking right at me. It, yeah, he is looking right <laughs> at you. He's like, motherfucker, why haven't you watched it yet? And, and that, that is such an interesting thing because, like, Breaking Bad is probably my number two of all time. Mm-hmm. With only the shield being first. And I, I think it's very interesting, and it may say a lot about me, that both of those shows share that. Where right. the main character is not a hero in any sense of the word, really. And and not really a good person, and I think that um, but but they they are capable of doing good things, mm-hmm. and I think that's an important like uh, thing to to show is that like uh, a you know a, a good person is capable of doing bad things, and vice versa, a bad person is capable of doing good things, uh, and 
you know, I, I think that both of those shows really demonstrate that on just a level that I, there's no way I could put it to script like that. I yeah. think it's masterful. So always impressive when they can do something like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I, I thought that that was interesting, but also we have, uh, today, um, you know, a couple of different things that we want to talk about some specific areas in regards to antagonist. Why is it that, uh, antagonist is so important, like for you? You know, for me, especially like having a really dense comic book background, the best superheroes have a phenomenal role gallery. Right. And even in terms of like superhero movies, a lot of the best superhero movies have phenomenal villains. And and these, they, the antagonist serves more than just standing in the way, being a roadblock for the protagonist. Right. You know, a, a good, anti- a great one. Anyway. Yeah. Right. A good, yeah, a good one or a great one. But, Really, what a a great antagonist should do is have their own motives also and their own goals, and maybe they're just at an intersection with the protagonist. Right. You know, so like they don't have to be mirror images of each other. You know, uh, they don't have to be like the same, or or they could be, but they need to have their own characteristics, their own plot lines, their you know their own motives, and they need to be fully fleshed out characters. And really, that's what's most important. Right. Is that they need to be believable as a character. Yes. And I think oftentimes it's usually better when they're simply at odds with the, the hero and maybe even, or the, or the protagonist, and maybe even they don't want to be, mm-hmm. for instance. Um, you know, uh, one of the things like, uh, like, like Batman the Joker is obviously right. such a good, uh, you know, go-to for all of this stuff, whereas it's just like, you know, the Joker, you know, we talk about, like, uh, we're going to be doing the Dark Knight trilogy mm-hmm. soon. He, you know, he has that perfect quote in that movie. He's like, kill you. I don't want to kill you. You're too right. much fun. Like, the Joker didn't necessarily seek out to have this conflict with Batman. But once he found out how fun it was, that's oh, all yeah. you can think about. Whereas, like, you know, Batman's mission has nothing to do with that. You know, right. he's trying to protect Gotham. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's just like... You can always tell that those two characters are on their own path and they just have intersected and now that's right. all that can happen. Um, and and uh, you brought up Walt and Hank, and that's such a good one too. Like, Hank doesn't bear any ill will towards Walt. He's doing mm-hmm. his job. Yeah. Um, now, after he, you know, spoilers for Breaking Bad, but like after he gets all shot up and everything, he probably has a little ill will. Yeah. Um, and uh, finds out Walt's been lying to him all this time, but... Yeah, oh, and been a meth kingpin on top of lying. Yeah, know? on top of all of that. <laughs> but there was no ill will, I think, between the two parties originally. Right. It just, they evolved to this point where they met at a crossroads. And you've got the whole, you know, unstoppable force and movable object. Like, mm-hmm. somebody has got to go. Yeah. So, and that's how it went. That is exactly how it went. <laughs> <laughs> um, Breaking Bad is such a great show. It is. Uh, it is. And just such a good example of a lot of the things that we're going to discuss here so uh i brought up we had three kind of pillars of like what makes a great protagonist and i came up with three for a great antagonist and here they are Mm -hmm. uh number one a capacity for evil or a willingness to do bad things i thought that this was um maybe uh, when i first like kind of 
type this, I thought maybe it sounded too basic or too obvious. But I think it's very important. Like, this is such an important aspect of an antagonist, right? Mm-hmm. Is that they will do a thing that uh, an average, everyday person would not imagine. Like, they wouldn't do. They wouldn't dream of it. Um, and, and, you know, there are some examples of this. And once again, hope I'm not stepping on any toes here. Uh, you look at like uh, like Killmonger, right? You, yeah. he, he comes out and he gives the whole speech at the British Museum about how you know they, none of this is theirs anyway. They stole it all, and you're just like, well, I mean, he he that is true. He did steal all that shit, and he's like, right. you know, all these people are you know suffering all over the world, and we can help them. And you're like, hey, man, he is making a lot of sense. And then he shoot like shoots his girlfriend, you know, yeah. like <laughs> you know, and you have to be like, oh, wait a minute, you right. Know? And, and and there is an element of that where it's like the writer has to put that in or he makes too much sense, mm-hmm. you know? But it's like uh, I feel like that's such an important thing where you get to see, you know, we see that you agree with them up to a point, I think, with some of the best villains. Magneto yes. is another good example another of that. One, yeah. Where it's like you agree with them up to a point and then they do something that you would never dream of doing, like that's just too far. Yeah, yeah, and that that right there, I think, is really what – drives a lot of the best antagonists, you know, where right. like, well, maybe you don't even agree with them, but you can see where they're coming from. Right. And then they do something that is just, you know, irreprehensible. You know, there's yeah. no coming back from that. Yeah. You know, and, and Killmonger, you're right, he did it. I think Thanos is another one. You look at the full breath of Thanos, you know, he wants there to be less suffering in the universe, and you can't kill, you can't kill greed of, of, of conscious creatures, but, you know, you can... You know, he can do what he did, right? Which is a very extreme and drastic thing to do. Uh, and and you know, then you have Magneto, uh, a, a person who was pushed to the point of basically being like, "You won't leave me or my people alone. If genocide is what I have to do to protect me and mine, then that's what I will do." Right. And the interesting thing about the antagonist, right, is that they they view oftentimes what they're doing as Almost, they, they almost view themselves as martyrs, as, right. as as making like this extreme sacrifice. Even though they don't have any plans on killing themselves, they, they have these extreme viewpoints that are like, I I I will bear this burden of doing right. this terrible thing. Thanos is such a great example of that. Yeah. Because even even at uh, one point, you know, one point he says like, you know, I'm the only one who is willing to do this. I'm mm-hmm. the only one with the will to see this done. So it's like. They look at it as if, like, everyone else in the universe, in Thanos' instance, should look at this problem and arrive at the same conclusion as him. Right. And and maybe in his mind, they all have. Like, mm-hmm. they are all just lying to themselves. They all know this is what needs to be done, but n- only he has the will to do it. Right. We're, you know, he is 100% the hero in his own eyes. And oh, we've yeah. talked about how, even in Infinity War, they send him on all the elements of a hero's mm-hmm. journey. And you're right to your point earlier. There's a reason, like, you ask somebody their top five MCU movies, and um, uh, notwithstanding probably two of them that uh, shouldn't make that cut, most of them are going to have an excellent villain in it. Uh, Winter Soldier, Infinity War, Endgame, those are probably on everybody's everybody's (laughs) top five. Um, You know, or or even the, you know, first Avengers. Yeah. You know, uh, a lot of those, the, the... the A tier, you know, right. they all have that in common that they have a fantastic villain. I think maybe the exception would be like Guardians One. Yeah, you know, um, true. They managed to make that a, a great movie without, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, not to get off on a tangent, but like 
Guardians 1 did what was assumedly the impossible of having an ensemble movie without a, a build-up like Avengers had right. and have like five fully distinguished fleshed-out characters, more or less. You know, yeah. there's, there's Groot that who were says I am Groot. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and zany off-the-wall characters. By the way, right. this is a great time to mention that uh, this coming Thursday night, we are going to go see Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and uh, you should check out Superhero Homies where we will be reviewing that immediately following the movie and probably be very tired. Yes and yes. <laughs> uh, number two, uh, a complex range of emotions uh, for our, our second pillar of a great antagonist. Um, what did you think about this one when I sent you the list? Uh, yeah, so you actually did not send me this. I did not. No, I did send you this. I sent you the three on Messenger. That's where I copied them from. On Messenger? Yeah, man. We were having a conversation. I did send you these. I will double check, but I do not remember seeing this. Oh, it's in there. <laughs> okay. It's in there. Yeah. Uh, but now that you asked the question, uh, uh, did I respond to this? That's yeah. not important. Yeah, really? We, about it. we talked about it. All right. It's definitely in there. Okay. I, I, I promise. I, I, I believe you. That's amazing, yes. though. That now, now that I've just shot yes. at you with this. It's <laughs> tremendous. So but, what do you think about seeing it now? Uh, yeah. Uh I think seeing it now, it, it makes perfect sense because with any kind of good villain, it takes more than just being like a, a mustache twirling, I'm doing this simply because, you right. know. So, like, in order to have, like, a really complex villain, they need to have, like, a full palette of, of emotions because, to a degree, one of the scariest things about the best villains is that you might find yourself relating to them, going back against, like, your Killmongers, your Magnetos, so forth and so on. And that's scary because you don't ever want to see yourself in a position where I think and feel just like they do. Like I would, I would laugh at that. I would cry at that. I would feel these similar type of emotions. And so when you have a villain who experiences the same spectrum of, of emotions, it, it becomes a little bit scary and personal because now you realize that, okay, in order to be like a great antagonist, you don't necessarily have to be a, a, a narcissist or a psychopath or a sociopath. You can be, you can have elements of those things, but also have the that kind of human side as well. Right, and and that makes it more real. Right, yeah, I think that um, there's a lot of like really good examples of that. I mean, uh, you know, you take we talked about, of course, the Batman Road Gallery, but mm -hmm. you look at like uh, especially like the animated series version of like Victor Freeze, right, where you're like. Oh, okay. Well, like this guy actually, he's got a really tragic backstory, mm -hmm. kind of like a hero would have. But you right. know, and then as <laughs> as as the Joker says, all it takes is one bad day. Yeah, you know. Uh, so that's number two, and then for number three, we have, and this is this is such an important one, and mm -hmm. and it may be my favorite, a point of view that justifies their actions. Yes, this character has been wronged in some way, or. Uh, they see the world or they, they have a certain worldview that justifies the things that they're doing because very few of these antagonists would classify themselves as such. Right. And a lot of times that makes them more so, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Thanos, of course, would never, you know, he would never, like, describe himself as the villain of the story. Quite the he, opposite. He would say something condescending, like, only in the minds of those narrow-minded would I consider the villain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> only those lacking the will right. to do it, they must. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or or he would just accept it and be like, I will bear this burden. Right. You know? I will be your villain if it means, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, some, some stoic, <laughs> philosophical <Right>. nonsense. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, and I think that this this one is uh, is really important too because a lot of these kind of you know just one and done or one dimensional villains mm-hmm. they kind of lack this right where you're just like eh, I mean you're like I can't say this person doesn't exist because right. there are people in the world that are just bad yeah but like I think for the most part. Like people that you know do bad things, they have some way of justifying it themselves. Unless you're just a complete sociopath, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, like like Dex, for instance, from Daredevil. I don't know yeah. that he's really justifying any of that shit. I think he just <laughs> yeah, he just woke up a psychopath. Yeah, you know? he just yeah, yeah he's just, he's just a fucking psychopath. <laughs> yeah. But but like uh, on the opposite side of that, like in Kingpin's mm-hmm. mind, he is protecting the city and right and like he wants to be the one who defends the city and and mm-hmm. and daredevil is standing in his way of making the city what it could be you know it, i mean it's a similar thing to like the lex luthor complex you know oh absolutely that's such a great one yeah i mean lex in, in lex's mind like at least what he tells himself and, and outwardly tells people is you know if if i don't protect us from superman then who will you know what happens when this man goes off the deep end what happens when this or that happens right yeah and but it what it how, really yeah. is is envy it's Straight up envy, but he justifies it to himself. Right, he's and, protecting the, the the human race from a from an interloper, essentially. Yeah, and that's how he views it, and and also is so much projection with Lex Luthor, and that's oh, the thing I really love about him. Yes, he, he projects all of his bad qualities onto Superman. Because if Lex had those powers, he would be that tyrant that he thinks <laughs> Superman is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it, it's it, it's a it's a very like poignant thing that you say there because it's like. He thinks that, like, if Superman is heralded as this, you know, just sort of on a on a pedestal, mm-hmm. a hero of humanity or whatever, that Superman will do what he would do with such power right. and wield it in that way. And that's so important, I think, in our world right now um, because uh, people make these same kind of projections every day. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it definitely happens. Well, uh, so the challenge here was to come up with someone who embodies each one of these things. Uh, and considering that you overlooked the list, <laughs> uh, I would imagine you are probably over there calculating. So would you like me to go first, or do you want to you take a crack at it? Well, I, I think I went first last time. Okay, so you want me yeah, to go yeah, first? Yeah, you can go first. Okay, uh, you're going to like all of these, actually. I, I think Excellent. one of them that you maybe guessed, but it's not this one. So, uh, number one, a capacity for evil or a willingness to do bad things. My choice is the Mighty Asher from Spartacus. Oh, my God. <laughs> I knew that one would pop you. See, you know what? Because you, you gave me like a breadcrumb a crumb of a clue. You said something like... You had been, you had watched it recently, and so it's been on your mind. Yeah. And I completely overlooked the fact that you had rewatched Spartacus. Yeah, I'm actually in the middle uh, of rewatching Spartacus right now. I've only got, I think, the last two episodes to mm-hmm. go. Um, and and yeah, uh, I, I've been watching it kind of gradually over the last few weeks, and yeah. uh, I was like, you know what, this person's just fresh in my mind. Right. I don't want to make the decision based off of that. I'll probably change it. But the more I thought about it, I was like. Asher just does such a good job with yeah. with uh, with this one because Asher like he has that relatability factor because as we said like these are kind of all pillars of a great villain so like a great villain really should have all of these right mm-hmm. and we do see Asher kind of display all of them but what really takes him over the line is number one where this this capacity for like malice and cruelty is like 
you look at his backstory, and you know he's sold into slavery as a gladiator, right? And even among the gladiators, he's considered like the lowest guy on the totem pole. Mm-hmm. And it's like this is somebody that we ought to root for, exactly. But he's just such a shit, right? And early on, we see that he's willing to do just about anything in order to gain favor with those above him and try to like rise up to a higher station. And this often involves like people getting either murdered mm-hmm. or raped or both. Right. Uh, and there's just no depths that he's not willing to go to. Uh, and the characters around him very quickly find out the links he's willing to go to uh, in order to have that ambition. Um, one one of the uh, the earliest things that we see him do, kind of the moment, I think, if you were watching the show as it came out, mm-hmm. you know, in televised order, the the moment where we realized that oh fuck this guy is maybe a, a worse threat than the Romans is uh, he uh, screws over another one of the slaves uh, Barca yes and, oh yeah and uh, and it's because he owes him money because he placed a bet right and Asher doesn't have the money to pay to pay his winnings out so uh, as a result he spins this tale to their uh, master and ends up getting Barca killed as a right. result. Right. So that now he doesn't have to pay him. Yeah. And I think that was the moment where we were all just like, holy shit, man. Right. And then, you know, we go uh, into the prequel series in the Gods of the Arena, and he comes in with uh, another one of his fellow countrymen. I can't remember where he's actually from. Mm. Is he? No, I can't. I can't. Uh, no, he's. Um... <sighs> man, it's been like it's... four years since I've last yeah, watched. I, oh, it was. I could think about it if if I wasn't trying to think about it. If you weren't trying it, to think about it. It would come to me immediately. <laughs> uh, because they meet a guy later on that's from the same place. <sighs> He's not Persian, is he? Is he Persian? That's going to bother me now. Yeah, it's going to bother me now. I'm going to have to go look after this. But anyway, so uh, he comes in with one of his fellow countrymen, uh, Dagon, and he the whole time that they're like uh, going back and forth, like Dagon doesn't speak Roman mm-hmm. or Latin actually. Right, uh, yeah. So uh, it's it's English in the show. <laughs> Not to confuse anyone. Not to confuse anyone. So he's translating for him, and we see him kind of start to mistranslate things on purpose to mm-hmm. kind of uh, you know put himself in higher favor than uh, his buddy, who's clearly a better gladiator than him. Yeah, and uh, he ends up getting him killed. He ends up basically turning on him in the uh, in the final fight there, and 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 killing him. Uh, later on in the show, we see him uh, go to sink to the depths of working for Glaber, who he should hate. And he basically puts together a team of gladiators to hunt down his uh, his brothers, uh, other members of the Brotherhood. Oh, it was so good. I mean, so vile, but good. Right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then even Lucretia, who is another antagonist that we shouldn't right. like. He ends up like tormenting her, ends up raping her at mm-hmm. some point in the episode. I, I mean, in the throughout the series, and and it's just like there is no depth that this dude will not sink to. Right, and it's like he keeps on digging. He he never really finds a bottom. Like he never reaches that point where he's like, I can't do that. No, yeah. He ne- we never even see him struggle. With no, it, really. yeah, yeah. It's just like without question. Yeah, yeah. He he'll do it and. I mean, and, and like the kind of like the shitty thing is that type of society, just the, the nature of living back then 
would almost organically reward people like that. Right. You know? Uh, I mean, that that's probably like one of the last times where like survival of the fittest really rang true, like those type of societies. And, and Asher just, I mean, he embodied every vile thing that would help you get ahead in that society. Yeah, I mean, like he's he's absolutely the worst kid in Lord of the Flies. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just straight up. He uh, – w- one of the things that I think is so interesting about him is – you know, we just we were talking about this earlier. You you can see where he's coming from. Yes. To an extent where you're like, well, if I was in that situation, I would probably do just about anything to get ahead mm-hmm. as well. And then you're like, well, well, but not that. And then it just gets worse. And it's like, and definitely not that. And right. definitely not that, you know. Well, I mean, it's, to me, like, at the end of the day, he always embodied the phrase, how's it go, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely right i mean that to me that that's him because like the more power he got the more corrupt he got somehow or maybe just the more power he got the more corruption we're able to see from him right like like that absolute bottom of corruption was always in this guy yeah and i think um you know like his death Mm -hmm. uh at the hands of navia who uh out of all of these people like suffered the worst i think from him uh, it was such a great moment in that show, and I think that uh, they really. Um, so you know, it's gonna spoilers for a really old TV show at this point. Uh, he dies at the end of the of the technically the second season, mm-hmm. and so that last season you really feel his absence. They really had to like dig deep uh, with their villains and get like Marcus Crassus and Caesar and right. and and really like do a lot. Um, for them, because one of the things we talked about, like, uh, kind of off mic before is how a lot of these seasons will kill off their, like these shows will kill off their like great villains. And then like in the last season, they just try to introduce new ones. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. Spartacus is one of those in- few, very few instances. It may be the only one I can think of where it, that, that actually really did work very well because they just masterfully pulled it off. Um, but I, I think even then, you know, you kind of, you feel uh, Asher's absence. Yeah. Because in that last season, it's really the slaves versus the Romans, whereas right. Asher always kind of had that third element yes. in the mix that kind of made everything chaos. Right. And, and that is true because I remember, you know, not, not to go off on like a, a Spartacus tangent, but I remember watching that show like for the first time. And like I just loved season one. And then unfortunately with uh, Andy Whitfield, was yeah. it? Yeah. With, with his unfortunate passing. I was like, well, that's going to put a damper on things. And uh, and then, you know, we got news they're doing a season two. All right. Well, and it was not going to be set. And, you know, that that current period. All right. And I didn't have a lot of high expectations just because of the circumstances. But what we got, I thought was incredible. Guys, the arena is amazing. Yeah. It, it may be my favorite part of the show. Oh. It's, it's yeah it, it might be actually because i it's hard for me to say right now because i just enjoyed it so much more than i thought i would yeah <laughs> yeah well i think them adding Ganicus does a lot for it does uh he's such a good character yeah um yeah so uh that is my that's my number one that's a good one man <laughs> <laughs> I, I never wavered on it now i actually picked all three of these the day that i sent you this list or 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 didn't right, and then uh, yeah, yeah, and and I have never changed any of them. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, I hundred percent believe you sent me the list. I hundred percent also believe that I just overlooked that shit completely. Yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah. So uh, number one, thankfully, with the ones I picked, uh, yeah, I do have one for for all of these, and 
thank goodness. And so they are kind of like a revolving list that can kind of fit any of these. But I think the one that I have on my list that uh, that fits the most. Go ahead and get them pulled up here. Yeah. Uh, this one right here. Okay. So the character that I had in mind for this. Uh, this is actually a video game character. Okay. Yeah. And uh, because, I mean, I, I think that video games have some great characters all together. I don't know how much we've actually spoke about like this in particular, but I have a sincere love of uh, Rockstar, the the game studios. I, I love their games. Uh, I've played them all, and uh, I mean everything from Grand Theft Auto, obviously, uh, to Red Dead, which is my favorite. I was gonna say you picked a Red Dead character. In I did. The, uh, in yeah. The first uh, in the protagonist episode. I, I did. I picked John Marston for the uh, protagonist. Uh, I was very tempted to choose uh, Dutch Vanderlyn. Uh, for the uh, for the villain here, but I didn't want to do that mirror image. Right, uh, it, it'd be too close to home. Uh, but instead, I did pick a villain from one of my other favorite Rockstar games that does not get nearly enough attention. Not Manhunt, uh, <laughs> not not L.A. Noir. I'm talking about Bully. I knew as soon as you said <laughs> that doesn't get enough credit. I yeah. was like. Bully. Yes. Uh, have you ever played Bully? I have. I have uh, not yeah. beat it, but oh, okay, uh, I have okay. played it a bit. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely love this game. Bully came out back in like October of 06. All right. So just to put you guys in that mind frame, that means that I had just just graduated high school, and uh, so I was uh, I was uh, I was a pretty good demographic for this game at the time. Uh, but uh, the the antagonist here that I chose is the main antagonist for the game. His name is uh, Gary Smith. And he's a real piece of shit, Morty. It sounds like a real piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. uh, so just a quick synopsis for those of you who have not played this 17-year-old game. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I see a few gray hairs. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but uh, Bully, you play as a, as a, a 15-year-old kid named Jimmy Hop- uh, Hopkins. Uh, his... His mother just married this uh, th- this rich dirtbag, and his his stepdad and his mother treat Jimmy like shit. You get that from like the first minute intro of the game, and and they're going on their honeymoon, and don't know how long the honeymoon is, but they ship Jimmy off uh, to this boarding school up in like uh, New England uh, called Bullsworth Academy, and and so the entire game takes place uh, within the small section of the city and on this campus called Bullsworth Academy. And uh, Jimmy was uh, the the protagonist that you play as. He's a very rough around the edges guy. He has to has a lot of growth throughout the game, which is very cool to see. And uh, I mean, and, and there's like you know your different sects of of uh, people. Like, like there's the nerd group, there's the jock group, the greasers, so forth and so on. Uh, but one of the first characters who you meet is this character named Gary, and Gary walks up and he introduces himself, and right off the bat, he rubs Jimmy the wrong way, but the th- the way that uh, Gary works here is that he's very manipulative, right from the start, and throughout the course of the game, he's he's poking and prodding at Jimmy, and in, in the beginning of the game, you think that maybe this guy's just a dickhead, but maybe he's not so bad around the edges, or once you get to know him, he is, uh, close like that. <laughs> Close to like the end of the first act of the game, I believe, uh, is when Gary shows more of his true colors and he turns on you and he tries to paint you out to be uh, this. Uh, well, he he basically tries to turn all of the groups against you. 
And throughout the course of the game, from other people uh, who you encounter in the game and whatnot, you learn that Gary uh, is, I mean, by his own admission, he's a kind of a narcissist. Uh, he is, uh, he's got um, uh, a few psychopathic tendencies. And uh, he's, uh, he's very much a, a manipulative dickbag. And, <laughs> and the things that he does throughout this game, he, he tells vicious lies and manipulates people because, I mean, at the end of the day, they're all kids, but he is uh, kind of like the worst kind of person here. And, and keep in mind, there's a lot of bad people here, but Gary's the worst. And the things that Gary does to people, whether it is beating down the little guy just because he wants to feel powerful uh, or, or whether it's telling lies to uh, other students because he doesn't like Jimmy, the protagonist, and he wants to get uh, he wants to get them against you. Uh, and the thing that makes this so compelling as a video game is that when I first played Bully, I was like, OK, this isn't going to be definitely won't be like Manhunt. Uh, this definitely won't be like Grand Theft Auto. There's no killing in this game. You know, this is a lot more laid back, jovial, but it is very poignant. Like they is very cutting in parts because this type of evil you are more likely to see right. in real life. And by the end of the game, Jimmy, who starts off as a, I mean, a very rough kid in, in all senses of the word has come around to the point where not only is he really not a bully, but he's the one who's sticking up for the little guys now. And on top of that, he's trying to a degree to extend some type of mercy or at least understanding uh, to Gary and Gary, because of his narcissistic, uh, narcissistic tendencies, realizes he has not gotten his ways and he's not used to that. And his meltdown is just colossal. <laughs> <I bet. laughs> yeah. And so seeing a, a character within a video game, within, within a school setting in a video game, who does the things that he does, uh, the way that he manipulates people, literally turns the whole school against you during like the, the uh, third act. I was like, this kid is pure evil. Like he shouldn't. Not only should he not leave this school, he should be put somewhere else entirely. <laughs> uh, but no, Gary is is a real piece of shit. I mean, after all these years, I've never forgotten Gary, and I've always wondered if they would ever include Gary as the Easter egg in one of their other games for uh, for Rockstar. Uh, maybe it's for the better that they haven't. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Gary. At the end of the day, he doesn't change because of who he is as a person. But Jimmy does change because of who he is as a person. And uh, I just really love the, the dynamic between those two, and you know, just seeing what ends up happening with Gary, in contrast to how he treats people from the beginning of the game, and to how he becomes king of the mountain towards the end of the game, and to see him fall from grace. And just to see all the shit he did to get there, I thought was a phenomenal journey. Uh, did not expect that from that video game. Uh, but also, fuck Gary, man. He's just <laughs> the worst. He was so bad. He would do literally anything. I mean, anything to get ahead. Just a little bit. Or just to make himself feel better. Right. Yeah. He sounds a lot like an Asher. Yeah. 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 I mean, he he's like he's like if Asher lived in like 1980, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know, <laughs> instead of that time period. Yeah. 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 yeah.
Yeah, that that's a great one. Yeah, because like I haven't, I I've played a little bit of that game, but I also I do remember him. And when you mentioned him, mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, that kid is a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And I, that's just for my limited yeah. exposure to him. So I can only imagine how extreme it gets. You kind of make me want to go back and play the game now. So it was a great game. Yeah, because I don't have enough video games to play. Yeah, yeah, right. So. <laughs> well. Uh, number two, moving right along here, is a complex range of emotions. And my choice for a complex range of emotions is Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so, just a couple of... And, and, I'm, and, and you know, I'm really speaking more to, like, the first maybe five seasons of Cersei here mm-hmm. um, in the TV show. Uh, and well, I mean, and that's all there is in the books, and maybe all there ever will be. But maybe we don't go off on that tangent. Right. Um, but a complex range of emotions. Uh, I, I wrote down a few here. Uh, we see her hatred for Tyrion. That's the most common one. Mm-hmm. But she would not be a great villain if that was all that right. she had. Um, her love for Jaime, although toxic, uh, she's convinced that she loves him. Yeah. Uh, as narcissists usually are. Um, her desire for approval from her father. We see that a lot. Uh, her fear for her children and eventually her fear of Joffrey. Mm-hmm. Um, that first time that uh, you find out that like he ordered all the babies to be killed. Right. And she didn't even know about it. And she talks about how like she's afraid of him. I think she confides in, uh, it may be uh, Sansa at the time, and, mm-hmm. and is like that she's terrified of him, basically. Right. Um, and we see her rage at Joffrey's death eventually. Um, and, and I thought that for this character, if all we ever saw her do was just kind of be a shitty member of the royalty or whatever, she would not have stood out as much as she did. Um, in the books and early in the show, like Cersei is, she's conniving. But she's not smart, right? Like she has—that's a very good way to put it. She has yeah. wisdom and not intelligence, right? Um, and they—they they change that in the later seasons of the show, which is one of the reasons why it's bad. Mm-hmm. But because um, in the book she's very dumb, right? Oh, okay. Uh, she's she's even dumber than she is in the show. Really? Uh, yeah. But uh, but she still has all of these this complex range of emotions, which makes her so interesting because. We see her do things where it's like, well, you know, someone would do that for their children. Or, um, you know, most people have that, have experienced that um, desire for someone else's approval. Um, You know, so there are these moments where you feel sorry for her. Like, uh, even her hatred for Tyrion, uh, in the beginning, when you find out that her mother died, you know, Mm -hmm. giving childbirth to him. I think as a child, right, it would be a very understandable emotion to be like, I hate my little brother because he killed my mom. Now, when you're like 30, that's not a fucking emotion (laughs) you should be having or or a thought process you should be having. So it's always like you can understand it to an extent, but then it's like, bitch, wait a minute now. Like, you know, and, and, and Cersei is very much a child. Right. I mean. Yeah. And you get that a lot from her. Right. Like you really get the feeling that she's. She has the vindictiveness of, of a child. Right. You know. And, and you know, we, we even see Robert, you know, early in the show, you know. Robert is never a good person. Right. You know, he's never a good king. I'm not going to let you shit talk Bobby B that way. Yeah, well, fuck Bobby B. <laughs> and, you know, we see where, like, and, and, you know, this is like we are talking about earlier where it's like, okay, you understand to a certain point, 
And it's like, you wouldn't want to be married to this guy. You know? Right. It would be awful. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you get to live in a fucking castle. You don't have to worry about starving or whatever. So that's fine. But, like, so, like, yeah, you, all your physical needs are being met. But, like, your none of your emotional needs are being met. And you're just kind of overlooked, right? And for somebody like Cersei, who wants to be doted upon, that's, yeah. like, hell on earth. And then she kills him. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were with you until this point. And, yeah. And then if that isn't enough, then she, you know, does the whole thing where she betrays Ned and all mm-hmm. that. Now, we can argue back and forth all day, like, was that Ned just being an idiot, right? Like, his honor outweighed his, right. his intelligence at that point. Um, because, honestly, I'm going to go ahead and tell you now, if I was in Cersei's position and some motherfucker came up to me and was like, hey, I have all, the I evidence. Have all this evidence yeah. against you. I'd be like, <laughs> do you know? Right, right. I'd be like, out of curiosity, who else has this evidence that you so speak of? Right, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and then, you know, a- as you see it over time, you see where, like, she's completely inept as a ruler, right? Yeah. Like, she, she did all this backstabbing shit to get herself into this point, and then she's just completely out of her league, right? Mm-hmm. Like, if it weren't for Tywin, the the, whole, the kingdom falls apart before the credits roll in season one. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And, and then we just see that more and more where, like, Tyrion has to clean up for her mistakes. Tywin has to constantly clean up for her mistakes. Later, Jamie has to clean up for her mistakes. And, like, it, it's just... It, it's like Cersei is, is like a toddler running around destroying things, and then everybody else on the show in the in her family is just kind of running around behind her, like picking up and right. cleaning up things. And um, and that's really the quality that gets more and more out of hand as the show goes on until finally it's, it's at the point where you just fucking detest her, right? Yes. You know, every time she opens her mouth, you're just like, shut the fuck up. Right. You know? <laughs> uh, and, and I think that makes her a great villain. Unfortunately, like I said, in the later seasons, mm-hmm. it devolves into just completely unrealistic nonsense without any of the nuance that I was just talking about. Right. But I, I'd say in those first five seasons, maybe six, uh, she's just such a real well-written character to the point where when I see Lena Headey in anything mm-hmm. else, I still hate her. Right. Because she played this role so well. She did such a great job, right? And, and and that's how you know that, like, not only is she a great actor, but the character was written so well, like you said, for those first five or so seasons. It's because there's such an ensemble cast of characters in Game of Thrones that are all, you know, uh, so, so many of them are so compelling for different reasons. But if for whatever reason they got rid of Cersei, early you would have felt that absence immediately right you know? yeah. like it, you would have felt it immediately i mean i would i i would go so far as to say that like even when when joffrey died uh we all rejoiced and, and maybe because we love to hate him some people feel like oh man but he's gone but even that wasn't that big of a uh of a wound because i mean we got we got ramsey yeah we had ramsey yeah. by then and he was way worse right yeah. so yeah and so like yeah i mean cersei I completely agree. Yeah, she's a, a she was a phenomenal villain. Yeah, you know until she wasn't. Right, and and I think that like her that complex range of emotions. Obviously, you know, like we said, um, a, a great villain in, embodies all three of these. But I think that that complex range of emotions is what seals the deal with her. Is that she really embodies that and really just personifies it? Because without her seeing all those little things, she comes across as just this completely one-dimensional like evil type character right but it's not that it's that she's a she's a mother and she's got this family legacy and she's got this complex kind of relationship with her with Tyrion and Mm -hmm. with Jaime 
And she feels like she yeah. is defending her family and that she is in the right and she deserves these things that she has. And, uh, and, and I think without that and without seeing all the emotions I listed, she just wouldn't have been as memorable. Yeah. So that's my number two. That's a great number two. I mean, yeah, she's, yeah. Yeah, she has a complex range of emotions and a uh, complex uh, array of, uh, of instabilities that should have been taken care of a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So. Yeah, so my number two, a complex range of emotions. Uh, thankfully, that one re- was really easy for me to choose. Uh, Jason Todd, the Red Hood. Mm. Yeah, yeah, such a good choice. I knew we would get a Batman somebody, but I did not think <laughs> it would be Jason Todd. Yeah, yeah. I went back and forth with so many of like my uh, the, the Batman role gallery. But I, I narrowed it down to three, and out of the three, I was, I was like, I think Jason's going to be the one, man. And and Jason, too, is uh, one of those characters where it would be very easy to listen to what they say and agree with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely, right? I mean, and so, like, with Jason Todd, in terms of, like, his array of, like, complex emotions, he has every right to feel everything that he does. Right. And and it's it's so hard to argue against why he would feel that way. Right. I mean, so I mean the the, the man survives death. To, yes, take that oxymoron. Yeah. <laughs> the the man survives death. And and here's the thing that people I think sometimes overlook is that a lot of people think that Jason Todd was dead, 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 comes back to life and wreaks havoc on Gotham. He actually came back to life not very long after he died. And right. so he spent a few years in hiding uh, after he escaped the, uh, the Agul compound where right? Talia let him escape. And, and during that time frame, he held out hope for a long time. Once he, he, he gained his senses back and his, you know, his wherewithal, he held out hope for a long time. My, the, the man who I considered to be my father, you know, my mentor, you know, my, my savior, he's going to come, he's going to get me out of this. He's going to help me. And he never does. And then when you know it, the man who killed me is still alive and he hasn't done anything about that. Let, let's unpack that. Because yeah. like, I think anybody in their right mind, like, let's say that you look to Batman as a, as a or, or, or any character mm-hmm. like that. Let's say it's, it's Superman, Iron Man, whatever. Let's right. just say that you are a ward or whatever, that's your mentor. Yeah. Some super-powered or, well, Batman's not necessarily right. super-powered, but if you fight him, you would believe he is. <laughs> um, you know, th- this this person who is able to affect change on a, on a level of a, a superhero. And you are killed helping them superhero. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by just a, an average man. Yeah. I, well, I don't know about average, well, yeah. but, <laughs> but but a regular non-powered person, right? And you come, like you come back from the grave to find that they did not do anything about your murder. Yeah, I think anyone in their right mind would feel probably the exact same way that Jason feels mm-hmm. here, and and that's where it comes around to like. You have the right to feel whatever you're going to feel, right? Everybody yeah. has a right to their own feelings. Yes. What you do as a result of those feelings, however, right. is something else. And so here we are. Yeah, and so here we are, right? Like, <laughs> if, if that's all that Jason Todd did, then he wouldn't be on this list, you know? <laughs> no. <Nope. laughs> 
is the uh, gratuitous murder of <laughs> of everyone. And you can say, well, you know, Jason mostly murdered just just uh, you know bad guys. I'm like. Okay, you know how like meme Batman, like the meme version of Batman brutalizes, you know, drug dealers who are trying to take care of the kids. That's what Jason does, except he kills them. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it I mean, so like uh, all of like the, the, the goons who would maybe get a broken arm or a few broken ribs from Batman get a bullet in the head from Jason. He's he's like I mean, he's really like Frank Castle but worse. Yes. Right? Where it's like Frank Castle for the most part. Like, he really only goes after, like, people he knows are fucking bad right. people. This is like, you know, Frank Castle just, like, shows up at the park and starts, like, right. killing people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, uh, and and so with Jason, you really have this character here who he's not and, – and this is what I love about, like, the, the whole story of Under the Red Hood is that on the out – like, on the outside, it's on the surface level – Jason is killing because he's doing what Batman doesn't have the guts to do, to to kill all these people who are ruining Gotham. But once you delve a little bit deeper, you realize Jason is killing these people because he knows that that would hurt Bruce the most. Right. And and I think there's so much there to uh, unpack with that because he's just such a uh, I mean, he's an emotional mess. I mean, one of the strongest parts of the whole story is right there at the end with Batman, Joker, and, and Jason. And, I mean, he he breaks it all down for Bruce, you know. He says, I I don't blame you for letting me die, but why on God's earth is he, the Joker, still alive? Right. And and that line, uh, Jensen Ackles. Oh, man. Killed it yeah. in the animated movie. He did. He did. Oh, it was so good. I Like, uh... Like I've read that comic mm-hmm. since I watched the anime, and I, and I read it almost, uh, you know, uh, in um, you know, just the the uh, Kevin Conroy kind of way. Like I read Red Hood's dialogue in his voice, right? You know? it, yeah, you kind of have to, right? Because it's it's so fitting. Uh, as a matter of fact, about maybe two years ago, there was like this kind of subpar mediocre. Uh, kind of choose your own adventure style Batman DVD that came out uh, for uh, a death in the family, kind of like the prelude to under the red hood. Right. right. It was where we see Jason Todd die, but it was like, well, what if Jason Todd lived? And what if this happened with them? Anyways, um, when, when Kevin and I were watching it, you know, we did a review on that and I was like, there were a few parts that were okay, but for the most part, I did not like it. And one of those things is that, like, the voice actor for Red Hood was not Jensen Ackles. Yeah. And it hurt it. It hurt yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's actually probably one of the things that I hate about the Gotham Knights game, but that's uh-huh. on a very long list of things I hate about that game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. There's a lot with that game. But, man, with with Jason, though, it's like you understand exactly where he's coming from, and you also understand why this man is so broken. It's like – even if his mind wasn't warped by the Lazarus pit, he would still be fucked up. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like it, when you, and he delivers that line to like the, why is he still alive mm-hmm. with so much emotion that you forget that he's a fucking lunatic. Right. Right. Where it's like in that moment, you, f- you feel so much empathy towards the situation and you mm-hmm. can't help, but, you know, just, you know, like I said, just empathize with him because 
you, it's like anybody would feel that way. Right. And, and you kind of forget that he's, you know, a ravenous murderer. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of put all that aside. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I would say to that, like, I, first of all, I think that everybody should in some way, shape or form experience uh, Under the Red Hood, whether it be the uh, the comic book or the animated movie. They're both phenomenal. Uh, but also, I, w- I would dare say that Three Jokers is, is quite the strong uh, kind of spiritual successor to that story. Uh, I mean, the three main protagonists in that are, are is Batman, Jason Todd, and Barbara Gordon. You know, arguably three people who have been affected the most yeah. by Joker. And you get to see a lot of that trauma and how... And it's so... Uh, it was, the reason I bring that up is because it's so interesting to see how Barbara handles her trauma in comparison to how Jason handles his. Right. And, and like, to see how different they are in their approaches and their viewpoints of it all and how they cope with it. Uh, and, I mean... Barbara, in so many ways, is so strong, like and tough, just mentally and also, you know, from uh, emotionally. And and how Jason has come a long way, but still has a long ways to go with how he deals with certain things. And uh, I mean, so yeah, like for all that and more, man, I think that Jason is just he's a, he's a great choice for a villain uh, who has a complex range of emotions. Yeah, uh, I I that I think that's an excellent choice for this one. So yeah. that was fantastic. Um, so I'm convinced now that we do not have the same list at all, which is excellent. All right. So if you fuck it up now, it'd be hilarious. No, I definitely won't. Uh, <laughs> there's no way. Uh, so, um, one of the characters in the protagonist episode that I mentioned, um, and, and I will, uh, put a warning here that there are some, uh, major spoilers for the Stormlight Archive and what mm. I'm about to say. So, uh, if you are in the middle of reading that right now, <laughs> you probably should not listen to this next part. Uh, maybe give it about 15 minutes. Just, That's right. Just fast forward. You got to see or, that, that 15 seconds fast forward button. Hit that yeah, a, a bunch of times. A bunch of times. Yeah, yeah about 60. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that being said, um, yeah, uh, so uh, my character that I picked it for the protagonist uh, episode was uh, Kaladin Stormblessed. And uh, one of the things we talked about with him is how he has gone through all of this trauma at, at the hands of the Light Eyes, which is the nobility or like the upper uh, mm-hmm. caste in the world uh, or in his society. Um, and uh, like that, that was kind of like an element of his like tragic backstory. And so the character that I have picked for number three, a point of view that justifies the, their actions, is actually his opposite. Um, and, and this character's name is Moash. Mm. And uh, he sounds like an asshole just right, right. off the rip. Um, so he is a slave, the same as Kaladin. He mm-hmm. is a, a bridge runner uh, as well. And uh, and, and I, I went over this in the protagonist episode, but basically the bridge runners, it's, it's a, um, a really like horrific uh, form of slavery here. Where I remember you telling me about this. Yeah, yeah. They, they take <laughs> these big-ass wooden bridges and they run them up ahead of the army. Uh, and then the army goes across, and then they slide them back over the uh, the the chasm, and then they have to like outrun the army to the next gap and slide the bridge across, and they do this over and over again uh, until they get to like the opposing army that they're going to fight, and then they have to run this bridge up uh, in the face of all of these the enemy's archers and stuff, and and usually they usually have about twenty five of these big ass bridges because like more than half of them aren't going to make it up. Like right. Too many of them are going to die. Um, so he's in this same situation with Kaladin. He has such a similar backstory. 
Uh, and he, the reason that he dis- distrusts the Light Eyes is because uh, there's a character in the book named Elokar who he's a prince at the time that this happens, but at the time of the book, he is actually the king. Um, and basically, uh, there was some kind of dispute involving his grandparents, Moash's grandparents, and he threw them in a dungeon to die, basically. Left them in there just, just to, to rot to death, essentially. Um, and so, obviously, like, Moash is traumatized by this. His mm-hmm. grandparents were actually who took care of him, so this kind of set him on this path to where he ended up as a slave. Um, and... Uh, one thing leads to another, and Kaladin kind of uh, leads all of the uh, the bridge runners out of their um, servitude, right? Right. And they actually become kind of the guards for the king. Mm. Um, and there's even a point in the in the story where um, a uh, a full uh, suit of um, shard plate and a, a shard blade, both of these items are like of infinite value are given to Kaladin and Kaladin does not want them. He, he doesn't, um, he doesn't want to appear, um, as a, uh, a light eye. So he ends up giving them to like his second in command, which is Moash. Mm. And so he gives them both oh, of them. Oh shit. And, uh, and yeah, so Moash is like his most trusted kind yeah, of person. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, as it turns out, he later, uh, conspires to kill the King that they are supposed to be protecting. Um, because of what he did to his grandparents all these years ago. And um, when Kaladin finds this out, he, like, confronts him, and he's just like, you know, listen, we swore an oath to protect the king. Like, uh, the the whole reason that we're standing here is we're, like, is, like, that, you know, these these other men didn't, you know, like, they, they were without honor. They didn't hold up to mm-hmm. their, what they said they were going to do. And if you do this, then you're no different than them. You're exactly as they are. Right. And you kind of get the idea that Moash is going to relent, but then he doesn't. Oh, yeah. And yeah. this leads him down a series of choices where the reason he is such a good antagonist for Kaladin is because they they have similar backstories, but Moash is Kaladin if he made basically all the wrong choices. Right. And that's why there's such an interesting dynamic between right. the two. And also why there's such an understanding between the two. They they understand each other so well. And kind of like Kaladin's whole thing is like that he wants to protect everybody. And it's kind of him coming to the grips that he cannot. And like Moash to him is like his ultimate kind of failure. Yeah. And, and Moash realizes that. And he kind of... He recognizes that savior complex in Kaladin, and he exploits it to the maximum extent that mm-hmm. he can. And um, you know, and and the reason I chose him for this is like because of all those things that happened to him throughout the story, he feels entirely justified right. in what he's doing. He's like, no, these people put you in chains. You know what I mean? It's like that. Like if it were up to them, we would be laying dead out there in one of those chasms. You know. And, um, you know, he just, everything that he does from then on, he just, he feels 100% justified in it. And those choices lead him into some incredibly terrible situations later on. And he just keeps kind of going down that path. He's just, just like, like a snowball. Effect. Yeah, he's yeah. irredeemable, right. basically. And you kind of get the idea that it, it, at this point in time, uh, where where the story's at, where I left off, which is all that there is at this time, you really never never know if it's either 
he realizes where he is, like he's aware, mm-hmm. and is just like, fuck it, I'm too far gone. Yeah. Oh, or, yeah. or if he's just completely like has missed the boat, like right. I had to do all of this. Right. You know what I mean? So you don't really know. But, but everyone that, hates him. Yeah. And so that, that's interesting because it's like, you know, because like you said, if he is aware that he has just, Man, I've I've gone like I realized that man I've gone so far, but I can't. There's no turning back now, you know. Or or is it the mentality of I just I need to stay the course, and if I stay the course, then you know, uh, right. I, I I really dig that aspect. Um, man, I remember when you told me about Kaladin during the uh, protagonist uh, episode, and I was like, man, that guy sounds really badass. I, I probably should have seen it coming that you would use his. Uh, uh, kind of his his what I assume to be like his greatest foe, right? Uh, for the antagonist, that makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and and the thing is, like, I don't think that Moash hates Kaladin. Uh, I never really got that impression, but he definitely is working against him, mm-hmm. and he understands more than anyone how to get to Kaladin. Like, he understands that no one, at least at least nobody that's available is going to beat Kaladin in a fight. Right. He's like, he. it's almost a Goku thing. It's mm-hmm. like, he's strong enough to beat whoever he's going to beat. That's his power. Yeah. He will find a way <laughs> to kill you. Um, and, and, and he, but he knows that that's not the way to beat him. Uh, what he actually is trying to get Kaladin to do in the later kind of books is he's trying to get him to commit suicide. Oh. Because there's a moment in the very first book where um, he contemplates it. I actually have a, and there's an image of it over there on the shelf of him standing on the uh, on the ledge. It's uh, on the bottom shelf there behind the lost metal. Oh, oh, yeah. And that's Kaladin oh. standing on the cliff contemplating uh, oh, plunging yeah, to got, his death. He's got the Kratos going on. Yeah, there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, and basically, like that, that's a moment that he uses to torment him. He's he and uh, they call that the honor chasm. Or you can mm. go there and, and, and you can leap to your death rather than dying uh, with uh, while running in the bridge. That's yeah, your they, way they out. They don't have a third option? No. Okay. <laughs> and he, 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 he kind of torments him with that. And yeah. he says, Kaladin, I, you know, I, what if I could take you back there? You know, everything that's happened to you, um, he's like, uh, don't you wish you had just done it? You know, and, oh, and that's what man. he's like trying to dig at yeah. him because he's, he's trying to – destroy him mentally and emotionally because right. he knows that's probably the only way you're ever going to beat him. So. Oh, man, that is – that's dark and heavy. He's fucked up, man. <laughs> he is so fucked up. God. Like, someone asked uh, Brandon Sanderson at a recent thing to, like, describe Mo Ash's character using only positive words. <laughs> and he just stood there for a minute, and he was just like, and there you have it. And he just said <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's that's supremely amazing. hated. He's a huge piece of uh, shit. Oh, <laughs> That's amazing. I have a fuck Moash shirt in my closet. <laughs> in there. Uh, so I don't know if are, are you on like any of uh, like the Cosmere subreddits or anything like that by all, chance? Probably all of them. Okay. Yeah. So how many people have you? Because they, they they've got to exist. How many people have you found that are like uh, d- defenders or or uh, apologists for for Moash? Uh, there are a very select few Mm -hmm. that are like that um most of the time when you see it though it's blatant trolling like they're like 
they're not doing it for, with any kind of seriousness. Mm-hmm. There are some – I have seen some people that will kind of like try to sympathize with him a little bit, but I would say the overwhelming amount of the fandom really yeah. fucking hates this dude. Like there are other characters that are also like kind of irredeemable where you'll see some of that where it's like, well, you know, but there's not a lot of Moash sympathizers. <laughs> Sounds like it'd be like uh... – Finding Frieza sympathizes. You know that Frieza, he's uh <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, it's kinda like that, you know, where you just you can understand why like like it's it's you know, like we said with number one, it's like, yeah, you understand their motive to an extent and then mm-hmm. they do things that are like beyond that, where it's like, you know, he the, first it's just the little things where it's like, uh, he conspires to kill Elokar. And I, and I'll tell you this about Elokar. Nobody particularly likes him. Mm. Uh, he's not really a guy that you're like rooting for, right? But you're like, well, but they swore an oath, right? And and really, you don't even care so much that he is trying to kill Elokar. It's that you don't want him to do this to Kaladin. Oh, okay. And uh, and if originally he is trying to, he almost successfully gets Kaladin to join in with him and his co-conspirators to assassinate the king. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it, that, that kind of starts him on that path where you're just like, Kaladin makes the right choice and Moash does not. And then it's, okay, well, we're going to, uh, all right, well, I mean, we, we were going to do that. Well, we could kill this person. Uh, all right, well, we could lead these uh kind of like invaders into like taking over a city and Mm -hmm. well we could kill a bunch of people and you know it just kind of it kind of just spitballs into you know where he's almost at an asher level there's nothing he wouldn't do at this point he's almost reveling in it right so yeah he's uh he's kind of the worst yeah it sounds that way (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, he sounds like a real piece of shit. <laughs> he is a huge piece of shit. And he's kind of like that uh that villain where it's like there's no death that's too mm-hmm. that would be too good for him and like nothing like like misfortune continues to happen to him, but it's not good enough. Like I want it to be worse. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Damn, so he he's been brought down but not 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 low enough for you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because like really he never um you know like when he's when he's with Kaladin, I mean they they're the king's guards. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they went from slaves to the king's guards. You know what right. I mean? It's like they went from sleeping <laughs> on the ground Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Yeah, yeah, they went from sleeping on the ground to sleeping in the castle. Right. You know what I mean? And 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 yeah, I mean they technically still work for the king or whatever, but they're they're free. They're not you know right. And uh, like you know, it's just that's kind of the highest point he gets to. Because he leaves all of that out of this desire for for vengeance, right? And, you know, there's just – and it just doesn't stop there, right? And he even – of course, you know, he does actually eventually kill Elokar. And there's that moment where he – you know, this is like what he's been focused on his whole life. And he feels no gratification from it whatsoever. Mm. He still feels just as empty. Right. And that just leads him that that just fucks him up even worse. I right, think, is that he's just more driven now to to try to find he he's he's got this kind of 
giant gaping hole in himself Mm -hmm. and he's just trying to fill it with everything wrong that you know other than rather than like taking a look at himself in the mirror which he he doesn't want to do yeah so yeah no he yeah characters like that typically can't do that yeah be like lex luther right taking a look at himself he probably implodes right (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh Man, that's a good one. Yeah, that's yeah. You did a great job of like explaining that to somebody who doesn't know anything about that. He's a real asshole. Yeah, <laughs> he sounds it. So, uh, for my number three here, it's interesting that it does come down to like a point of view that justifies their actions. Because my number three, right when uh, I was speaking to you in like weeks prior, and I was telling you how like. For the most part, I had my list together, but I was going back and forth between a few of them. So the ones that I was always going back and forth between was uh, Ozymandias, who I was going to use. But then I was like, I know I want to use the Red Hood, so I might not. And and I wanted to limit myself to one comic book character. And Ozymandias is such a good character for this third one. Absolutely, yeah, he's yeah he's so uh, befitting. And and for those who don't know, Watchmen is my favorite comic book of all time, and uh, and Ozymandias is that guy. Right. Uh, but because I wanted to do one video game, one comic book, and one movie, uh, my option while it wasn't Ozymandias was still really easy for me. Uh, Elijah Price, Unbreakable. Oh man. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> That's so good. Um, That's tremendous. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, so for those of you who have not seen Unbreakable, I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, it is, uh, it's, it's phenomenal. Watch Unbreakable and mm-hmm. Split, and then make up your own ending for Glass. <laughs> Just don't watch Glass at all. Yeah. Just watch Unbreakable. Like. Like, don't uh-huh. get me wrong. Elijah Price is the best part of Glass. He is by far. Yeah, and he's the 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 titular character there. Right. But uh, damn, that movie is horrible. Yeah, it really is. The more I, I think about it, the worse I know. It is. I know. And 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 I never want to watch it again. And same. If I could mind wipe like one movie from my brain, mm-hmm. I think it'd be that one. You know, it, it it might be because I think at this point I'd rather wonder, man, what if M. Night made that third movie? <laughs> right. Yeah. How good would that right. have been? <laughs> Where it's like, you know, if I only could choose one, like, I couldn't get rid of the whole sequel trilogy. Right. So uh, erasing The Last Jedi from, from my mind wouldn't, yeah, wouldn't, it wouldn't help yeah. much. But if I could save this, mm-hmm. that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good call, actually. But. Goddamn, Unbreakable is such a good movie, and it, Unbreakable only becomes better over time. It's like the opposite of Glass in that regard. Yeah. Because when I first saw Glass, I was like, because uh, we we did a review on that one, and I was like, you know, I don't love this movie, but I don't hate it either. But as time went on, <laughs> yeah. it just got worse for me. Yeah. Whereas Unbreakable, every time I watch it, I uh, I mean, I, I just I'm thrilled by it. I feel like as, as like so when I first saw that movie, I think we were teenagers. Yeah, I mean it was two thousand. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and um, I loved it then. Yeah, but like when I watch it as an adult now, I appreciate it so much more than I did. Then. Same. And like when that movie was made, the soup the, the the cultural zeitgeist wasn't superheroes, right? You know, it th- we we weren't at that age yet. Mm-hmm. A couple of superhero things existed: Batman eighty nine, all yeah. that. But it was not the phenomenon that it is today. Yeah. 
you know, going and seeing Batman in the theater, that didn't even make you a nerd then. Yeah. You know, Michael Keaton was a famous actor. It was a exactly. good movie. You know, and, and then now it's just like, oh, well, the MCU, everybody's familiar with that. Right. You know, it, they're like the Adam Sandler movies of the 90s. Like, that's the MCU now. It's like everybody's seen that shit. Right. You know. Yeah, I mean, and and, and you're right. The and, and they went to shit eventually. But right. Anyway. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, the interesting thing about Unbreakable as a movie is how M. Night takes a look at, like, the dynamic be- between superheroes and villains in comic books. And he has this this character, Elijah Price, uh, played brilliantly by Sam Jackson. It's his favorite. I mean, it's my favorite role of his by far. I mean, I think so, too. It's like Nick Fury tried to give him a run for his money and also uh, Jewels and Pulp, fi- Pulp Fiction. Yeah. But, man, Elijah Price, that does it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's this comic book connoisseur, and like it's just such a brilliant story, man. Because he starts off, I mean, right from the get go, we understand that he was born with this uh, unfortunate bone disease, where he has a, a the the basic name for it is, is brittle bone disease. There's an actual name for it that I don't, I can't pronounce. And I mean, so he lives his entire life basically uh, being very careful because he's extremely delicate. And he he is obsessed with comic books to the point where he breaks them down. It, uh, it, he thinks like me if I were a genius in the darkest timeline and was evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because the way he looks at comic books, he views them as more than just stories. He views them as like um, biological code that has been genetically passed down. In ways that we used to tell stories and mythology, yeah, and then that's the way that he views them. That they're they're more than just these stories; they're messages. Yeah, they're like uh, the mythology of the human race, essentially. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and 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 basically, spoiler alert. So again, if you haven't seen it, if not, you haven't yeah. seen this twenty-three-year-old <laughs> <This> 20- film. <laughs> Yeah, this film is old enough for you to fuck it. <laughs> yeah, legally without <laughs> without much guilt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but you know the the big twist here is that you know we have um, uh, Bruce Willis's character uh, David, and you know what we what we have here with him is that he has exhibited powers that I mean is exhibited abilities that make him maybe superhuman. And, and this is what Elijah's been trying to do the whole time. He's trying to convince David, look, you survived this horrific train wreck that no one else survived. And somehow you walk away unscathed. That's not just luck or fortune. There is something here. And throughout the course of the movie, uh, David comes to realize that, okay, he, he does. There, there is something there. And, and so, you know, by the end of the movie, David does this heroic act and he saves these children from from this maniac. And he goes and he... He confronts uh, Elijah and he's like, you were right. And I did it. That was me in the paper. And then they have this moment where they're finally on the same page, the two of them. And and David says to Elijah, so what now? And Elijah says, well, now we shake hands. And, and one of David's abilities is that he can touch people and and get a glimpse into their life and what they do. And so when they shake hands, David sees all of the atrocities that Elijah has committed in order to find that person who is the opposite of him. Elijah believed that since he was born so brittle and, and so physically inferior to everyone else, that there must be an opposite. 
because the comic book says so. Right. And and I will never forget this part of the movie is so good. David steps back and he's just stunned at what at this revelation. And Elijah says to him, now that I know who you are, I know who I am. I am not a mistake. And this is him accepting his role. He views David as the hero and he views himself as the necessary villain. Right. And he goes on this tirade as David is leaving, just completely stunned. He goes on this tirade saying things like, and they're always friends like you and I, and they're opposite of one another. And this, that, and the third, referring to comic book characters and whatnot. And he goes, and you know, I did this, David. It's because of the kids. They called me Mr. Glass. And chills. oh, just chills every time. Yeah, it's one yeah. of the best moments yeah. um, in a movie, and honestly, like, um, it, it's it's unfortunate that so much of M Night's catalog is fucking garbage. God. Because this, it's like, it would be like if, um, what's the guy that made the room? Uh, oh, uh, Tommy Why, why it, so? Yeah, yeah, it'd be like if he just. <laughs> Spit out like a fucking like amazing, well written film. Because the thing about this movie, um, if I think if Unbreakable came out today, mm-hmm. I, I think it would it might make a billion dollars. Oh yeah, because yeah. you've taken this movie. It's a superhero film, right? But there is hardly any. Uh, I almost said high spots <laughs> wrestling terminology. <laughs> There's like there's no CG in it at all. Right. Yeah. There's maybe two or three fight scenes and they're very minimal. Mm-hmm. They're very rugged. Right. Um you know, that there's there's more fantastical fight scenes in Breaking Bad than right. there is in this movie. Yeah. Um that they're they're very like down to earth. There's nothing crazy. The the only thing in this movie that's not completely grounded and believable is the fact that David has superpowers. Yeah. And you're doubting that for 60% of the film. Absolutely. And and I mean, even after David saves the kids, you're like, I mean, he could just be a really strong guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, And, and, but like, like you, it's like the thing that tips it over is David can kind of get this premonition about people when he touches them. And it's like, I I can't think of anything for that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. But like this movie is such a it's it's such a, a grounded and serious look at the the superhero supervillain mm-hmm. dynamic and um and even the 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 concept of like everything in nature is on a spectrum yeah. right Har- hardly anything in nature is doesn't doesn't work on a spectrum like this and so you know so it's not unreasonable for uh Elijah Price to think like okay there has to be somebody that's the opposite of me mm-hmm. right like um you look at every uh, uh every virus out there right uh some people uh will be naturally immune to that virus some people will get sick and then some people will die from it right um uh poison ivy some people are super allergic to it and it'll fuck them right up some people get the normal, like it'll just be itchy for a while, whatever. And mm-hmm. some people are completely immune and they can bathe in it. Yeah. Um, there's always a spectrum in nature. And uh, so it is not unreasonable for Eliza Price to believe this way. Um, 
And as we talked about earlier, what makes it unreasonable is the lengths he's willing to go to to prove it. He goes through some horrendous lengths to prove it, from from setting a hotel on fire and, and like, blocking the exit so people can't get out. Uh, yeah, the, and, and I'm going to tell you, I have never been comfortable on a train since 2000. Oh, <laughs> you know, absolutely not. Like, that, that train crash was... Oh my yeah, and it it was uh, it was terrible, you know, like just the the unsettling nature of of how it happens, and and, and yeah, the fact that he orchestrated all of that. Yeah, that scene where he wakes up mm-hmm. uh, was one of the most. I mean, it's such a well shot scene, right? Because the the camera uh, pans up to where you have a top down view, and and like I haven't seen this movie in years, and I can yeah. describe this scene to you. That's how good it is. <laughs> And and David is laying on one bed, and on the other bed you see what looks like a mummy because the the body is like head to toe bandages. Yeah, and he's asking David these questions, and and David is not even like hooked up to anything. He's just right. in his like normal clothes, and the doctor is talking to him and asking him these questions. He's like, why are you asking me all these questions? And he says, well, because in a moment you're going to be the the last, the only survivor of this train crash. And as this is happening, the you see like mm-hmm. the blood. It started to expand on the other body, right? And uh, and it it flatlines, like yeah. in you know while they're having this conversation, and like that was just such a well done scene. And then later in the film, he goes and visits the remainder of the wreckage, and you see the state that the cars right. are in, and you're like, no one could have survived this. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's a straight up miracle. It, it and, is you know, that that David not only survives but walks away unscathed. Right. You know. Yeah. And. and it, it's such a well done film, and like I said, like it, other than like if uh, if Split had never come out, mm-hmm. you would have just thought like he just stole somebody else's homework. <laughs> you know, he just paid some right. writer to write him a great script and yeah. not tell anyone. Right, and he was like, "Yeah, guys, I finally did it." Yeah. But but Split is also such a great it uh, is movie. It, Split is also a great movie, and then. Like that ending where you hear them talk about Mr. Glass. Yeah. The music. The music cue first. Yeah. I stood up in the theater. (laughs) So I went to go see Split not knowing anything. I had never seen a trailer, anything like that. When they start panning around the zoo at the end Mm -hmm. and the music kicks in, I literally got out of my seat (laughs) in the theater and I was like, no fucking way. Then you see Bruce Willis correcting the people talking about. I lost my shit. And you know, and then it's weird. They just never made another movie. Yet. I know. You think that M Night would have, you know, would jumped have made up. A, yeah. the third one. Yeah. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. It is strange. <laughs> it's not. It's unlike Hollywood to just give up money like that. I know. It's the same reason why, for some reason, Naughty Dog hasn't made a sequel to Last of Us yet. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like, uh, and you know, uh, Harrison Ford's doing all this work. You think they could have made another Indiana Jones, but they just did the three. They just did the three, and yeah. then they stopped for some weird reason. That's oh well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, so Elijah, aka Mister Glass, he completely thinks that what he's doing is justifiable, and I mean, f- for obvious reasons, it's just not right. Like, he he's just completely off the deep end on this. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> but it's it's such a fun ride, and you know, it's one of those movies where it's like even the first time I I, I watched it, I was like. I can't believe I didn't see that coming. Right. You know, but I remember, um, you know, when Kevin and I were roommates, he hadn't seen it. And I was like, sit your ass down. I know what we're doing right now. <laughs> and uh, and we watched it and he felt the same way. He was like, I can't believe I didn't see that 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 twist. What's a twist? 
uh, yeah. with the twist. Yeah, he yeah, and, and and like that's just the the mark of like good storytelling when you're so enveloped in what's happening, you're not thinking about what could be. And 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 it's crazy too because even then, M Night was known for his random mm-hmm. twist at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So we all should have been looking for it, and I think we were. Um, you know, the other thing about this movie too is. Like, you sit down and look at it, and I don't know that I would have saw the twist coming, like, if I watched it fresh, like, right now. Right. You know? It, it's just it's just well done. Yeah. And and also, there's that trope in Hollywood where you almost think he's going to be the Obi-Wan, you know, that, oh, yeah. that he's yeah. going to be, like, the old, gruffy yeah. mentor kind of guy that finds right. the hero. And so I think a lot of people, like, I think the movie plays off of that trope mm-hmm. as well. That he's going to be the guy in the chair for the hero. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And he is in a chair. Well, yeah. <laughs> he is in a chair. <laughs> <laughs> so they really go to far lengths. Yeah. You yeah. know, to make you think that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that was just incredible. And so, like, just to see him, you know, justify those horrendous things that's such a great pick yeah i I had to go with elijah yeah yeah we all had i i i I wouldn't have guessed any of those Uh, well likewise yeah Yeah. so uh that was great so do we have honorable mentions we got any others i mean i already mentioned one was uh was ozymandias yeah i mean i think he's just such a great pick uh for someone who justifies doing something terrible yeah you know i mean and standing by it killing killing two million people in order to more than likely save everyone else in the world, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's such a cool conundrum that over 30 years later, people online still debate it. We're still talking about it, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I got to put Victor Samuel Mackey on the list. Mm. Uh, uh, obviously, um, he's one of my favorite villains of all time. And I almost so, picked so you, you So he would be – so he's so vile, you consider him the villain? I would consider him to be an antagonist. Okay. He he is the pro and antagonist at the same time. <laughs> I need to watch this show, man. You really do. <laughs> I mean, it's it is Walter White to more of an extreme, I would say. Wow. Because he is willing to go to much further depths. Like a lot of the things that Walter like manipulates other people into doing so he doesn't have to do it. Mm-hmm. Vic is just like fuck it. Um I would say ultimately it's very clear that he is a villain. Yeah. Um, but you're you're still you you still root for him. Like he's also still the protagonist. Right. He is the main character. Right. Um, and one of the things that I think the reason that Shield is number one for me is because they stick the landing. That's the, so important. The finale. I've never met anyone who has watched that show all the way through. And dislikes the finale in any way. Yeah. Everyone is under the consensus of this is the perfect way to end a long-running TV show like this. Uh, it's the reason Sopranos can't be on the mm-hmm. list. It's the reason that fucking, um, well, what's Ozark? the Netflix? Ozark. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Ozark can't be on the, f- oh my God, they botched it. <laughs> it's the reason that Game of Thrones can't be on the list. Right. Like, like they only remember the finish. Yep. And uh, that show, for somebody like myself who watched it over... I started watching it while, like, I think went right after season three ended. Mm-hmm. So I watched that show over five years, and uh, the the ending is just so perfect to me. And I remember every second of it, like, and I haven't watched the show in a few years. So yeah, um, yeah, uh, that 
he is uh, it definitely somebody I could have picked for this list, but I didn't because I don't want to spoil the show for you. Gotcha. So, Much appreciated. Also, yeah. we would be here for hours because there's just so much that that we could delve into of like just the shit. Yeah. That, um, you know that that this man gets into. So he's definitely one mm-hmm. for me. Um, I had uh, Gustavo Fring on my list. Gustavo Fring is an excellent I mean, one. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you ever watched uh, Better Call Saul. Um, I've I mean, seen I, the first season. It, I, I never really got huge into it, but I hear it, it gets really good. It gets really, really good. I mean, it gets really good. And, I mean, like, cause, uh, they just put the last season on Netflix, and so I benched it in, like, a day, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, I mean, um, they do this thing with Gustavo, right, where, like, they don't take away or ruin the integrity of anything they did with him in Breaking Bad, but they just kind of add tent poles to support why he is the way that he is. And uh, it's just really, really cool to see uh, the the kind of further evolution of this vile character, you know. So, I mean, and so just that added on with how he is in Breaking Bad, it just further reinforces that Gus is just not to be fucked with. Yeah, you know. Yeah, agreed. Um, you know, uh, I didn't put any video game characters on my list, but certainly if I had, I probably would have had Kuja from Final Fantasy Nine. Oh, on the list. Final Fantasy is not really known for great villains. Most of yeah. them are just straight up mustache twirling. They are. Um, Sephiroth for me is an exception. Sephiroth is really good. Yeah, I thought that Kuja made a much better case for mm. why he was doing what he was doing. Whereas Sephiroth, it does kind of lean into, like, I'm doing it because fuck you, that's why. Well, I mean, that and, like, my whole life has been a lie. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, agreed. And, 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 and uh, in a lot of ways, similar to, like, Moash, like, he comes at Cloud like, don't, look, we're the same. Right. Like, you should feel the same way. Come with me. And yeah. Cloud's like, nah, bro. Right. That's <laughs> fucked up. He's yeah. like. What? <laughs> you know, and you, it's you a killed, very similar. You killed my healer. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Every damn time. Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sephiroth is a great one. Uh, Kefka from 6 is a great villain, but I really would struggle to put him on any of these lists because mm. he is just evil. Like mm-hmm. he's, But he's just so evil that it works. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like he doesn't really fit these, uh, like other than the first one. But he just does the first one so well yeah. that you're like, eh, well, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I contemplated putting Zeus from God of War on my list. Yeah. Uh, or from anything. Or, from, I say, or from anything ever with, with the with name Zeus. Zeus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even, uh, gosh, what's the name of that movie? Uh, I think Hulk Hogan was in it. Uh, it had uh, fucking... D, uh, Debo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He plays uh, a character named Zeus. Even yeah. that Zeus. Even yeah. that Zeus, yeah. Yeah, anything with uh, with Greek mythology right. in it, to any extent, you can go ahead and put Zeus on the list. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the reason I didn't include Zeus is because I realized I like the aftermath of that even more so than I actually enjoy the character just because it just represented how even after Kratos was done, he still felt empty. Right. Like killing Zeus his ultimate goal didn't do anything for him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Odin was so well done in, in, the, oh my in gosh, the second series. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. Even for only appearing in the one. And uh, that the actor that plays him mm-hmm. is so good, too. Yeah. I love him everything. And we just recently talked about West Wing. Yeah. Because you were like, yeah. I didn't know you were such a big West Wing fan. Right. He's one of the main characters on West Wing. So. Oh, is he? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, I can see uh, a political character uh, pulling that role off. Yeah. Yeah, he's like uh, – I think he's he's either the chief of staff or he's like the speechwriter for the president. Mm. I think he's the chief of staff, though. No, no, no. No, I think he is just a speechwriter. But he's like the head pers- like right, yeah. speechwriter for the White House or whatever, I think. D- did you uh, watch West Wing as it was coming out? I watched a little bit of it back then, but when I – Finally sat down and watched the whole show and really appreciated it. It was okay. like two or three years ago. God. I was like, what kind of kid sits down and goes, I want to watch West Wing? Yeah, because uh, that <laughs> shit wasn't even in HD. No, no. No, when I was 10, that shit would have bored Yeah. Me. Yeah. Such a great show, though. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Tremendous. And, and that, that show, like Unbreakable, only gets better yeah. over time because uh, – it's like a. It's from a time where our like political system at least kind of worked a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really the fantasy of that show, right? Is a, is a political system that works. Yeah, I was gonna say so. You can do that show today; it'd be too unbelievable. Oh yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is one hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you used the Game of Thrones character. I had Ramsey as like a backup, backup. But I was like, at the end of the, of the day, Ramsey. He's as much as I love him and the actor. Uh, Ramsey is probably one of the more one-dimensional characters from the show. Right. You know, so. Yeah, I would have to agree. Uh, I think Tywin is an excellent. Oh, Tywin is, yeah, yeah he's excellent. Um, we don't really Charles see. Charles Dance, yeah. Yeah, we yeah. don't really see, like, the complex range of emotions from him. But he definitely has the other two. Mm-hmm. And, and really, you rarely even feel like it's malice for him. He definitely never sees it that way. It's it, just cold calculation. Yeah, it's just this is what's necessary. Right. He, and he never gives a second thought to it. And and I would even make a case for like the complex emotions. Like He doesn't display them, but I think he feels them and processes them in a way where like he kind of keeps that. He, he puts that in, in the back, you know, and then he uses like his logical side of his brain to, to move forward. Right. Um, and that's kind of the difference between like – Tywin and uh, oh man, I forgot his name. Otto. Yeah, yeah. That's like the the differences between those two characters for me. Yeah, know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's just so many that it's funny. Like we didn't nobody picked a single Marvel character, but we brought up Magneto. Yeah, a bunch we brought of up times. Magneto He's and such Thanos. A good example. Yeah, yeah. Um, Victor Von Doom, if yes. he, from the pages, yes. would be an amazing choice. Absolutely, if, I mean, yeah, he's, if we could get that on screen, if we could, yeah. Capacity. Again, it's it's amazing how like no one has ever made a live action Doctor Doom. Yeah, that is weird. Yeah, <laughs> you'd have thought. I, I, you know, I thought I maybe heard some casting at one point, but like the movie never came out. And yeah, it's movies weird. never came. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the weirdest thing, man. Yeah, <laughs> it is weird. But, um. So a couple things I wanted to, to to do before we wrap up here. So, what effect do you think a poor villain has on a narrative? Yeah, so the effects that a poor villain has on a narrative, right? How do I put this, man? So, the uh, let me use an example here. It's so like the uh, the Joel Schumacher era of Batman was a dark era. But I think literally you couldn't see yeah. shit. <laughs> Except for the neon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think literally everyone would agree that Forever is way better than uh Batman and Robin. Yes. And that's for a multitude of reasons. But one of those reasons is because at least with uh with Forever, you know, we get 
uh, Two-Face, which is whatever, but we get the Riddler, who really seems to be, who I consider to be like the main villain of that movie. Yeah. Even though um, most of what Tommy Lee Jones was given in that movie was garbage, Mm -hmm. I still enjoyed watching it because he's just... Watching him be ridiculous yeah. is fun. It, it is like why, and then like as a kid, I didn't notice it, but as an adult, it's obvious he's just trying to out Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey, which is impossible. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think he was just trolling himself. Like maybe. I think he was just like, I'm a better actor than this. Yeah. I my agent is fired. Right. And right. he's like, Well, I'm just gonna have fun. <laughs> and then he did Men in Black. I like Men in Black. Oh, me too. Oh, okay, I'm just saying, okay. but like you know, we talk about the ridiculous aspect. But at least in Men in Black, he, he plays a serious he, character, a straight face. Yeah. yeah, he's the he's the he's the straight man right. in Men in Black. That's true. So, uh, but but you know, you uh, compare that with the villains in uh, Batman and Robin, it, particularly Mister Freeze, where they take everything that's great about that character. Okay, you gotta remember, like. Uh, uh, the the animated series has has been out for a few years. Yeah, <laughs> when this movie came out, so there's no excuses for the version of, of Mr. Freeze we got. Right, like this version of Mr. Freeze was like 98 percent ice puns and then two percent Nora. And not only had the animated series <laughs> been out for a while, yeah. but Matthew McConaughey was alive. They they could have got him. He was alive. He was acting back then. All right, hey guys, thank you guys for being here. <laughs> This has been another episode of Entertainment Evolved. <laughs> Even you can't say he would have done a worse job than Arnold. God damn it. Oh, yeah. That's, um, well, actually, with this script, it would have been just as bad. It would have been just as bad. Yeah. Actually, I think I'd rather watch Matthew McConaughey make the ice puns if I had the choice. Uh, it, I, you know what? But to be fair, though, when they make the next Mr. Freeze live action, whether it's Batman 2, Batman 3, or mm-hmm. something James Gunn and them are going to do, the animated series will have been out for like 25 years. Right. So they will really have no excuse Yeah, there, there will really be no excuse then. <laughs> and there's the Arkham games. Where right. He's like almost equally great. Oh, uh, yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of the Arkham games, uh, like uh, even like the, the DLC with Mr. Freeze and uh, a lot like the, the main story and the Arkham comic book, a lot of that was uh, was written by Paul Dini, yeah, the guy who who reimagined uh, Mister Freeze in the first place, right? Uh, and so that's kind of why that all flows together so well in that Arkham series. Yes. Uh, but you know, to answer your question though, it's like if if your villain is just if there's nothing there, it's just just a big old nothing burger, then you end up with. It's going to hinder your story, right? right. It, j- just because it's not adding anything of value. You're really working against yourself. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to say it's impossible to make a, a great story without a great, and uh, without a, and, I, and let me not say villain, but let me say antagonist yeah. here. Uh, it's not impossible, but you're handicapping the mm-hmm. shit out of yourself. Um, you're really setting yourself up for failure. By doing that. Um, the first Ant-Man obviously comes to mind. Right. Where it's like, that's easily the worst thing about that movie. Yeah. You know? It's, yeah. it's really enjoyable other than that mm-hmm. aspect where you don't really, like, 
the villain is just a uh, is just a plot device. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned Guardians One earlier. I I love Guardians One actually, but Ronan the Accuser. I don't think anybody exactly remembers him. Yeah, Lee Pace was yeah. criminally underused. Right. Not that he's bad as the character. No, no. I think he brought the character to life very well. He just mm-hmm. didn't wasn't given anything to do. He was giving absolutely nothing to do. Yeah. Uh, which again, you know, it, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and honestly, I had to think to, about who the villain was for the second one. It was Ego. I had to remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, even that was, I mean, I Kurt, Kurt Russell had fun. Yeah, I think Ego is a better villain. He but is. But just the movie is bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and judging by the reviews, I don't know if you've looked at any, uh, but I, I across the board, I think people have been rating the third one higher than the second one. So. Oh, well, I mean, that's, that's good. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we will too. Yeah, but man, like when you have just a, a, a shitty villain, like worst case scenario, right? I would say like take 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 like it, a good villain, right? Can can elevate a a mediocre Marvel movie, right? And, right. and, and make it a, a really good movie. Whereas if if it's a mediocre Marvel movie, but the villain is bad. It's gonna degradate that that yeah. score. Yeah, Ant Man too. Ant Man too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and and I mean Guardians too. Like yeah. I'm not gonna say Ego was. Um, I think Ego was was better done than Ronan, mm-hmm. but he wasn't great, and his plot didn't really make a whole lot of sense. And then you take the fact that they split the party for most of the film, yeah. and you know it just it just gets worse. Right. You know? so right. Agreed. It's downhill from there. Yeah. And and a, a lot of it too, like. Uh, uh, you know I'm no fan of Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. The only thing that makes that movie watchable to me. Michael Shannon fucking kills mm-hmm. it is odd. But then you look at the sequel to that. You look at Batman versus Superman. Yeah. And the antagonist is trash. Right. And right. actually all the antagonists yeah, are trash. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I didn't like Darkseid. I didn't like uh, Lex. Uh, Doomsday is terrible. Yeah, I meant to say Doomsday. Yeah, I said Darkseid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Darkseid, I think in he, the extended cut, is in the movie for about two seconds. Yeah, I think so. He's, he he's like, like his silhouette. Real quick. Yeah, 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 that's right. And, and, you know, like that to me was like, at least not the theatrical cut, yeah. but the extended cut of that movie, I think if you had a great Lex, that puts that movie in a whole different category. Oh, than, it does. In. Yeah, and, and that's a great example because that would really have elevated BVS. Yeah. You know, I mean, but and, and admittedly, like, yeah, the, it, the writing – and also the the direct directing of of Jesse Eisenberg would have done him and the movie so many favors. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Because when you look at that movie, other than like the Martha scene, you really don't mm-hmm. think about anything that like Clark or Bruce is doing is bad. Like most of their scenes are good. Oh yeah, you know. And yeah. then the fight was great up mm-hmm. until that moment. But yeah, I mean the writing and the maybe even the casting. Uh, nothing against Jesse Eisenberg because I think he's tremendous. Yeah, but. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great example of like how your villain could have enhanced your story, but instead it just absolutely tanked it. Right. I I remember when the trailer for that first came out. I stopped everything I was doing to uh, to watch that trailer for BBS, and I was that trailer had me you know I, I was it had me in the palm of his hand, and you know we get the scene where like we see uh, Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent like they're speaking to each other at the gala, and I love that, and then then immediately I heard this fucking nasally ass voice and i'm like who the fuck is this and i'm like that's lex you know yeah. uh, it's like okay well this is 
I don't know what this is right now. Yeah. I remember seeing that trailer for the first time, too. Yeah, yeah. Because I was in Hall H. That's right. <laughs> and I was so excited. Yeah. <laughs> I was so hyped. <laughs> damn it. God but, damn. yeah, I mean, uh, that that whole thing, like, uh, and, and you even look at the, um, at the sequel to that. Mm-hmm. You look at Justice League. One of the big differences, I mean, there's a lot of them, <laughs> but one of the big, biggest items on that list is, right. like, the complete rework of Steppenwolf. Right. Like, he's just a fucking mustache twirling plot device in the, oh, in, yeah. the in the Justice League. Right. And then you go to the Snyder Cut, and you're like, oh, this this guy actually has a, a backstory has a plot. And, yeah. and a plot. And you, yeah. kind of, you kind of feel bad for him a little bit. I right. Mean, like, if know? I do this, hey, can I come back home? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Whereas, yeah, you're right. In the, uh, in, the, in the Justice League, there was just none of that. I'm doing this because I like it, and I'm evil, and yeah. this, that, and the third. Uh yeah yeah didn't didn't quite work out and and, and I mean I, I do wish that superhero movies more of them anyways would realize the importance of how strong a villain I mean I, I look at it this way right like even even if and we're gonna talk about this very soon on the superhero homies but like with the Dark Knight trilogy all three of those movies have extremely strong antagonists yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and sure. and it's like that plays a large part of the success of those movies. And they give those antagonists a good bit of screen time to let them breathe and develop. Right. You know, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that that's like a big cornerstone of those. And like, um, I really wish that we had gotten, uh, Riddler. Yeah. Riddler. Oh, DiCaprio man. Is Riddler, man. Oh, that would have been something else. In that universe. It would have, it would have been something else. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because uh, that was their original plan. If Ledger hadn't died, is they were oh, gonna, really they were gonna do uh, Leah. Uh, they were gonna do a, a DiCaprio Riddler, and they were gonna have a, a point where they um, like do did the the whole thing where Bane like breaks open Blackgate, oh. but like the Joker was gonna get out, oh. and that was gonna be like kind of the the third act or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> damn, and that would have been fucking insane. That. That sounds like it has potential to be one of the greatest superhero movies ever. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Whichever one of those Olsen twins. Yeah. Fuck them. <laughs> Damn it, man. Yeah. Uh, have you ever heard the theory uh, for The Dark Knight about the guy who worked for Wayne Tech who pieced together that Bruce Wayne was Batman and brought it to, uh, uh, to Lucius? Lucius. That uh, he was actually uh, the Riddler. You ever heard that theory? I have heard that theory. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and I think that um, I think the reason that that theory was brought up is because it was a it was very similar to how Edward Nigma was played in Forever. Uh, kind of the backstory for him. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, and that, and also the cleverness of that guy to put all that together. Right. And he also had uh, he was also a ginger, you know. Yeah. And and also. Uh, the way that the dialogue was written, specifically for like uh, for Lucius, uh, he would always call him Mister Reese, which sounds like Mister Reese. Yeah, know? and yeah. so people were like, "We're really hounding on that." Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. They uh, they Mephistoed themselves. They did. <laughs> they Mephistoed themselves. <laughs> Nolan was like, "I'm gonna I'm gonna write uh, uh, Inception here. I didn't even think of that shit." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, I think that about wraps this up. This has been a blast, dude. I, oh, this has I've, been amazing. I've been looking forward to this for like 20 weeks. Yeah. Um, that wraps up season six, folks. Oh, man. Uh, we are taking a break. <laughs> 24 a- episodes in season six. 
Uh, we had multiple weeks where we had – there was that one week where I recorded like six fucking podcast episodes. Like every day you were podcasting. It was insane. Yeah. So uh, we're going to take a little hiatus here, probably about uh, maybe like four weeks, about a month. Um, I am going to Universal um, the first weekend of June. So I don't know if I'll be back before then or maybe right after then. Maybe be right after. Mm, we'll yeah. see. Um, but, uh, we'll definitely be back. And if you want to hear my voice, you definitely can go over superhero homies. We are going to be covering this right here. None of the white sand. We're going to be covering each movie in the dark Knight trilogy. We're going to be doing the guardians of the galaxy review. Uh, and then pretty much anything else that, uh, we could possibly think of. We're going to be at Momocon, uh, at the end of, uh, May. May. And we're going to be promoting the podcast there along with Oz from the Tavern notice board. And, you know, for kicks, I might just have to pop over there and, you know, ruin one of his episodes. <laughs> so That'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but um, uh, when we come back, uh, our very first episode back, uh, we are going to be ranking the entire Cosmere uh, book by book. That is going to be the first episode in season seven. That is already set. So uh, I, have already, I already have an incredible return planned. So... Um, that being said, uh, thank you for joining me for this. This has been amazing. Thank you for having me, man. This has been so much fun to do. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this ever since we did the protagonist episode. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah that was so fun. I, and I know that you love these like yes. deep character dives, and I do too. So uh, that is season six, uh, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, this has been uh, Entertainment Evolved. Uh, we will catch you in like a month.